so we're here to discuss midseason awards. I've done my all NBA first, second, and third teams. I have some honorable mentions for that. Definitely want to talk about MVP, most improved, six man and rookie are interesting. We can get into all-star as well. I think that, that those are, I think, more straightforward than the others with a little bit of uncertainty, like towards the end. But I'm interested who your, who your starters are. So, so where do you want to start, Danny? Take it away. Why don't we start with all-star starters? Let's do it. A great place to start. Okay. So in the West, I have Steph. <laughs> we talked so much about him in the second half. It kind of feels weird saying him as the starter. But yeah, he, I still yeah. have him as a starter. I have John Morant. I have Nikola Jokic, LeBron James, and Carl Anthony Towns. All right. So I have the same front court as you. I had John Morant. You know, honestly, I really went back and forth between Steph and CB3 because the numbers with Steph are just so rough at this point. He's having the worst shooting season of his career. I mean, we've been over it ad nauseum, but 40, under 42% from the field on the season, under 38% from three. Just for the standard is so high for him that, like, maybe it's, un, I, I'm sensitive to the, argument that it's unfair to grade him on a curve because of how good he's been. And I think that, you know, so ultimately I went with Steph because I think that the impact that he has for this team offensively, it's more durable than just his shooting because the way that defenses are contorted by his movement and it's just his presence on the court at all times, it hasn't really changed. Yeah, I don't think the gravity has changed very much. Yeah, like the, he hasn't lost the gravity even in spite of the fact that he's, he's been shooting the ball terribly the past like 20 or so games. Um, so he's still having that same effect. He's making his teammates better in a way that no other player can. But I really think, I, I really think that, that Chris Paul has a, has a strong argument. The more you watch Chris Paul, the more of an appreciation and the longer he does it for, he's like almost 37 years old at this point. And he's still like the best playmaker in the league. Just the way that he's able to uplift his teammates and the way that he is able to carry his team through the opposing team going on a run. You just are able to get through more adversity when you have Chris Paul on your team because he's such a steadying presence he's so good at getting his teammates opportunities to score and it's not just the assists it's the way that he he like empowers his teammates it's the communication it's the the discipline it's how he holds his teammates accountable he's the best leader in the league and i'm really not one to go crazy about intangible intangible qualities that we can't really quantify on the court but you see it every single i mean chris paul makes his team better to a degree that is not captured by the statistics. And the fact that, you know, at, at 36 years old, he, he's played every game this year. And, you know, they've had injuries to Aiton. They've had injuries to Booker. And I think they're like eight and two or seven and two when Booker doesn't play. So he's keeping them afloat. I don't know where this Suns team would be without Chris Paul. But I know they would not be the best team in the NBA. <laughs> not even close. It's pretty crazy that, they, that they're the one seed. 
given book was out. Aiton was out for a few games as well. The thing that kept Steph for me in the all-star starters is I was looking at cleaning the glass. Steph's efficiency differential is 10 points higher than Chris Paul, even despite his struggles for the whole season. 44 more expected wins with Curry on the floor compared to when he's off the floor for the Warriors. And plus 13 expected wins with Chris Paul on the floor versus off the floor. So I felt like that was a big enough difference for me to keep Steph in my all-star starters. I believe Steph's box plus minus is also still higher than Chris Paul's. Yeah, the advanced stats are still are still higher on Curry by a, a sizable margin. Yeah, so I, I feel like there's enough supporting data there to keep Steph in the starting lineup. But yeah, and, and Steph really doesn't have about- Devin Booker on his team. You know, he doesn't have, a, you know, a 25 point per game score that can really take the pressure off of him. So that to me kind of shrinks the gap between their scoring efficiency. This year. I mean, and besides Curry is scoring at a much higher volume uh, than Paul. Yeah. But, but the, the fourth quarter exploits for Paul really move the needle for me the way that he's able to turn it on like he he's not trying to score until he feels like he needs to he really wants to like it's a very old school mentality but it works like the way that he gets his teammates involved before he looks for his own offense and this is kind of a like an an adjustment that you've seen from Paul you know since he kind of exited his athletic prime in LA where he could just kind of go a hundred miles per hour, like all the time, you know, not, not physically, but he was just able to exert himself more frequently offensively. And he's been able to conserve a lot of energy and still be extremely effective when he needs to be. And I I just think Phoenix's record speaks for itself. The fact that he is, I mean, to me, he's clearly the best player on this. I I really don't think that that Devin Booker has the same impact in terms of winning. So, so yeah, well, I, I think that's enough on, on Paul. I think that, you know, obviously Jokic, LeBron are locks. With Cat, there's an argument. Some people would say, you know, throw Gobert in there. I think some people would argue for Draymond. I just don't think Draymond has been good enough offensively to really justify. I mean, he is, he's obviously transcendent. As a defensive player, he's one of the greatest defensive players of all time, and he's having a a resurgent year. But, you know, even if you look at some of the advanced data, some of the on-off data, like the Warriors are a good defensive team, even without Draymond. And you can can play devil's advocate and and argue that some of that is maybe the the lasting effects of having, having Draymond in the locker room and Draymond kind of holding everyone to their defensive rotations and getting on people if they make mistakes and that experience has hardened some of these players into you know just more grizzled defenders than they they were before and I think there's there's some truth to that but Carl Anthony Towns has just been outstanding this season I mean he's shooting like over 50% from the field over 40% from three he is contributing to a team that you know I think has surprised some people this year I don't think anyone expected them to be the seven seed in the Western Conference. They're making a little bit of noise and I like to reward players for that. Agreed. Why don't we move on to East starters? So I've got DeMar DeRozan and Zach Levine in the backcourt. 
and I've got Joel Embiid, Kevin Durant, and Giannis in my front court. Of yeah, course, Kevin so Dur- I almost ahead. feel like we don't even need to address Durant, Giannis, and, and Embiid. Where it gets interesting is how you classify DeRozan and Levine because they're listed as small. I mean, they've been playing, like when everyone's healthy, Levine plays small forward and DeRozan plays power forward. But they're classified as guards by the NBA in it's the weird. all-star voting. So, I mean, DeRozan has not been a guard since Toronto, basically. But for the purposes of, of all-star, he, he's a guard. So I, they're, the NBA is kind of forcing, I feel like, like they're just sort of forcing our hand. But it, it's convenient because I want DeMar DeRozan to be a starter. And whether or not he's a front quarter, backcourt player, I don't care. He's one of the four best players in the Eastern Conference this year. So th- this, is, this is tough for me because I really, really like what Zach Levine has brought to the table this year. A guy that has taken a lot of flack for being a you know, good stats, bad team player, gotten a lot of shit for his defense. Nobody expected the Bulls to be this good. It's really a shame that they've been so hampered by injuries this year, but uh, I don't think that, that, that many people expected Levine could contribute at this level, with this volume, uh, and ma- maintain his efficiency on a team that is top tops in the Eastern Conference, uh, on a team that is a legitimate contender. So I've been super impressed by him. I, I love his shooting, his the combination of getting, he's a three-level scorer. He's able to get downhill, obviously, with that explosive finishing package. I think he's one of the best movement shooters in the league at this point. And... He can drill pull-ups and step-backs from three, from mid-range. Just punishes you at every level defensively. But Trey Young is putting up absolute video game numbers right now. I mean, he is, he's having the best season of his career, statistically. And it's really tough because, yeah, like he's, he's, his numbers are basically what James Harden averaged in 2018 in his MVP season. But the team has been disappointing. They're 12th in the... Eastern Conference, and you know the 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 Hawks really go where Trey Young takes them. Like the the Hawks are kind of synonymous to Trey Young in the same way that the 2000 Suns were synonymous to Steve Nash. Like he is that team, he is that offense, but he is not a player that's going to be able to carry a defense. They've been the second best offense in the league this season by offensive rating, 114 points per 100. They've been the second worst defensive team in the league this season. So I think it's, it's, it's really tough to reward the best player on a team that has been disappointing this season, has not lived up to expectations. But at the same time, I don't know how much you can really, how much more you can expect out of Trey. And I think that the defense needs to improve. It's not just the lack of size and physicality. He has, a, he has a lot of mental lapses where he'll just kind of zone out and ball watch, totally. allow his man to, to, to cut back door, get an open shot, grab an offensive rebound. He doesn't box out. I think the team is 10 possessions, 10 points worse per 100 on defense when, when Trey's on the court. But man, is he good offensively. I mean, you talk, like we were talking about the way that Steph could punish mis- mismatches. Like that, Trey has that this year like if he gets a big on him i mean you may as well just run back to the other side because he's he's hitting a step back three or getting downhill and his passing is so good he he consistently hits 
those hit ahead lob passes, touchdown passes from way out behind the three point line from half court in transition out of the pick and roll. He's been really good for mid range this year too. Like he just kind of doesn't have any weaknesses as a scorer. Um, so I think that, you know, the one, the one thing with, with Trey offensively is limiting turnovers, but with the amount of offensive responsibility that he's entrusted with in this situation, I just don't know how much better you could possibly do offensively. I actually changed my mind. I, I do have, I do have Trey in for, for Zach Levine, his individual contribution to the team's defense over the years, I don't feel like, you know, I I don't feel like that's changed very much, especially from last year to this year, but the team is doing a lot worse and he's having his best offensive season. And, you know, we were already talking about, I don't know if Trey was already an all-star starter last year or the year prior, but we were at least already talking about him as an all-star starter. And again, Trey's efficiency differential is considerably higher than Levine's at 7.3. Levine's is just barely positive. You know, there are enough supporting points there to justify having Trey as, as a starter. Do we want to get into the bench for, for both all-star teams? Yeah, for sure. I think that's actually where it gets a little bit more interesting. All these other starters, we're going we're gonna to touch on them it, probably in All-NBA and, and MVP. You know, like DeRozan, Durant, Giannis, Embiid, LeBron, Ja, Jokic. I think those guys are all going to come up in those conversations. So we can kind of table our analyses of them for a bit. All right. So starting with the West, I think the no-brainers are Chris Paul, Rudy Gobert. I really like what I see from from Donovan Mitchell this season, even though the, the Jazz are just kind of a frustrated... I mean, how many years are we going on now where the, the Jazz are, when healthy, the, the best offensive team in the league? And nobody outside of Rudy Gobert offers any resistance defensively. And inevitably, Gobert gets blamed for it. Um, I think people are finally coming around to this perspective now, but there's only so much that one player can do defensively. If you're allowing, if you know, all four other players are allowing dribble penetration just constantly, there's only so much that you can do as a rim protector. You can't stop every drive to the, to the basket. So... Um, I think Gobert is is a transcendent defender. Like I said, you can make an argument for him as a starter. I kind of like my, honestly, this is, maybe this is wrongheaded of me, but I, I kind of prefer for my starting all-star lineups to resemble an actual lineup that you would put out. So I like, I like Towns as a, as a spacer next to Jokic. And I do think that, that, that Towns has overall been a more valuable player this season. But Gobert is pretty much single-handedly keeping that defense afloat. Without him, it just completely falls to pieces. So I think you have to give him credit for that. I have Draymond, Devin Booker, more on Donovan Mitchell later because I didn't really get into that. But I, I do think that he's taken another step forward this season. I'm curious about your thoughts on that. So, f- so the last two players, 11 and 12, are where it gets interesting to me, sort of on both teams. Who did you have for your bench players? Any different? So, so far, agree with everything you've said. Uh, you had Chris Paul, obviously, Rudy Gobert, the two guys we kind of were considering ha- having as starters. And then Draymond, no disagreement. Anybody else I'm missing that you mentioned? 
Uh, I had Mitchell and Booker. Yup. I think kind of no-brainers considering how, how good those teams have been and how much their respective shot creation contributes to the success of their, of their respective teams. Yep. Yeah. So no, no disagreement with those two either. I have to throw Luca in here. He's played 32 games this year out of about 40, maybe a little bit more than that, but I, I, it would feel silly leaving him off. And, you know, I do feel like though he's having a, l- a little bit of a down year a- as a scorer this year, uh, shooting, 43.7% from the field, 29.1% from three compared to 35% from three last year, 47.9% from the field. The 29 from three is just a killer. It really is because he, he hasn't really decreased his volume all that much, has he? No, he's shooting eight a game. Right. Yeah, I, I, no, couldn't, I, I, I couldn't bring myself to, to put Luca on my team. I mean, he's, he's missed a bunch of games, but, it, you know, that... That I can overlook if you've just been unbelievable while you're on the court. Like, for, like Jimmy Butler, for example. Butler, when he's played, has been supremely impactful. He's been bubble Jimmy, just unstoppable, like around the basket. His playmaking is approaching like second stint Cavs LeBron levels where he's just, he manipulates the defense and he... He's so good with his back to the basket, you know, getting to the rim and forcing rotations and then just finding the open man. He just does so many things well defensively. He's quarterbacking. He's grabbing key rebounds, you know, his, his mid-range game. There's just so many ways that he moves the needle for you on both ends. And with Luca, I just think that on the one hand, you want the best players in the in the game to be on the all-star teams but can i reward a guy who came into the season like 30 pounds heavier than last year and just played himself into shape missed a bunch of games because he just wasn't well conditioned and is now finally starting to hit his stride like 45 games in I don't know. I mean, maybe he'll maybe he'll make a case for for all NBA if he gets his shooting splits back up to what they were last year. But right now, I I don't have him as as an all star. And I have wow, I have Dejounte ahead of him. I was just gonna say Deontay, Yeah, I really like Dejounte. I mean, his he's probably the best defensive guard in the league in terms of forcing turnovers, on ball defense, a very disciplined, low mistake player. And it's kind of like, I don't know, it's kind of like having like a, a version of Russell Westbrook that's like a couple inches taller. I really like the way, the ease with which he penetrates. His assist to turnover ratio is amazing. He's only averaging two and a half, 2.4 turnovers a game to nine assists, eight and a half rebounds. And he scores in a variety of different ways. I mean, the three-point shot is is improving. It's not quite there yet it's at 32 but he has the mid-range package he has a little bit of a floater game and he just has the size and and explosiveness to finish when he gets downhill so i i really like the overall value that he provides on both ends and i mean we're gonna get to this later but i think that he has a case for most improved this year as well he no he he's definitely a a candidate for me uh, for most improved. And I did have him as a reserve as well. 
it's really interesting that, you know, the turnovers, I think one of the um, knocks against him as, as a prospect coming into the league was his turnover rate. When he was at Washington, he was known as sort of an erratic decision maker, but it, it's so cool to yeah. see that he, he's been such a successful playmaker. Yeah. Uh, and he, and he, he was, he really was not that like the first couple years of his career. He was very oh, yeah. much, a, very much a defensive specialist, very limited offensively, yeah. uh, both in terms of his scoring and his playmaking kind of a situational player. And he's just blossomed the rate of improvement over the past, like two seasons is really, really impressive from him. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm excited to see how, if he can, how much more he can extract out of his ceiling. So for the last, for, for my last spot, my 12th spot on the Western Conference Reserves, I totally understand if you, if you want to put Luca, I think who else is a candidate? I mean, I've heard, I, I've heard people clamoring for Wiggins. I, I don't see it. Neither do I. I think there are a lot of players who would look as good as Andrew Wiggins if you put him in that role. Like if you put Harrison Barnes, let's tra- like trade Harrison Barnes back to the Warriors. I think Harrison Barnes would put up better numbers than we're seeing from Andrew Wiggins. Maybe he's not as good defensively, but he's a better, I, you know, he's been a better shooter um, and just a better scorer throughout the course of his career. I'm really happy with how Wiggins has turned himself into a, you know, a, a very scalable and viable role player. But I'm not sure whether 18 points per game on like 48, 40, 80 splits is sustainable for him. And, and I don't even know that he's highly scalable. I mean, like you alluded to, I think he's in one of the, the best imaginable roles that, that he could be in. Yeah. Especially, you know, when Clay was out, the stretch that Clay was out for, the Warriors needed some somebody else to to create shots for the team besides Steph to alleviate pressure off of him yeah I mean like Um, even if you just decide like if if Wiggins was out and and Porter started in in his place for like 20 games I think Porter might put up similar numbers honestly maybe um yeah so I I don't want to minimize Wiggins improvement this season I, I think it is commendable and he's having the best season of his career it's definitely the best season of his career he's turned himself into a player that you know that can be a part of a championship team uh in theory but i just don't think that that is that means that he's an all-star level player i had deandre ayton yeah (laughs) i was waiting for you to say that (laughs) yeah just because they they, yeah i mean that team he adds such a like such an interesting dynamic to that team. I think that the Suns deserve to have three all-stars um, just with how good they've, how dominant they've been this season. And I, I respect the fact that Chris Paul makes his life a lot easier as a role man, but his skill level finishing around the basket, it's not like he's just, he's just throwing everything down. Like he's just getting open layups. I mean, he hits, he has a very, very nice touch on his hook shot. Um, he hits it from all over and he's able to do more out of the post this year. He doesn't average a ton of blocks, but he's, you know, he's a very serviceable rim protector as well. And I just think in terms of the overall value that he brings you, he is, he's an all-star for me. Yeah. 100% agree. Like I said, I was waiting for you to call his name because we were kind of 
you know, thinking about who to, who to put at that last spot. I mean, 64% from the field, uh, 17 points, 11 rebounds. He's just extremely efficient with his scoring. And he's kind of the perfect center to complement Chris Paul. Like in the same way that, that Paul makes his life easier, he makes Paul's life a lot easier too. A lot easier because, you know, Chris Paul, you know, leans really heavily on, on the pick and roll. And Aiden Aiden is so effective as a roller. And because Chris Paul is still so elite in the mid range, big men that are, that are in a drop, because that's typically how they defend Chris Paul, Aiden ball screen. It kind of draws in that dropping big man just enough for CP to be able to just give Aiden a lob or make that skip pass to a shooter. Yeah. It's It's Aiden's gravity as a role man. Um, he really, comp- he's able to compress the defense when he doesn't even have the ball because of the threat of him finishing um, or getting, you know, establishing post position. And when he's, you know, when he gets in close, he doesn't even have to be like sealing his defender underneath the basket. I mean, he shoots 82% at the rim, but, you know, three to 10 feet, 58.2%, mid forties on, on mid range jumpers. He is extremely skilled for a seven footer and just very versatile as a scorer. All right. Do you want to talk about um, Eastern conference reserves? Yeah. Let's get into that. It's deeper than the West reserves. It is there. There's more viable candidates for me. There there were more guys that I had to think about. Like, do I want to include them? So the guys that I included, the guys that I think are locks, and even this is arguable, right? But the guys that I think are locks are Jimmy Butler, Zach Levine. To me, Fred Van Vliet is a lock. He's having his best season scoring the ball and he hasn't really lost a step defensively, which is really hard to do shooting very efficiently. Dude, he's hitting four threes a game on over 39%. And these are like tough threes. He self-generates like 40% of his, of his threes, which is a ton. He's been, this is his most efficient scoring season. He's averaging seven assists per game. Also a career high. I just think, you know, he just does so much to elevate Toronto. It's kind of a similar effect to like, there are certain point guards that just allow you to weather more, you know, weather more adversity. I think that, that, that Chris Paul is the best example of this, but Darius Garland has some of that effect. Kyle Lowry is definitely one of those guys. I even thought about including Lowry in my, like in my, my short list for guys, but the stats just aren't quite there. Yeah, so I have I have Jimmy, Levine, Van Fleet, and then honestly from there it gets it gets a little bit more murky. So there's so you have Drew Holiday, you have Darius Garland, you have Jarrett Allen, you have Pascal Siakam, Miles Bridges, Amonis Sabonis, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown. You can throw you can throw Evan Mobley in there. I I personally don't think that he's at that level yet. He certainly will get there. So I had. Honestly, this is, this, is, this is so tough. But I have Jimmy, Zach, Red. I have Darius Garland and Jared Allen. And Great. then I have Miles Bridges. And honestly, this last one, I don't know whether... So I, oh, I, I even forgot about LaMelo. LaMelo has a case for sure. But I think that last spot either has to go to Pascal Siakam or Jason Tatum. Siakam is really having 
and both of them have have good statistical and analytical arguments for them as well. Siakam having the best playmaking year of his career. He's almost up to, to five assists per game. He's really improved as a passer. The scoring efficiency is back to like the level that it was at in, in 2020, probably even a little bit higher. And he just kind of gives you a little bit of everything. He rebounds, the, he, he, he grabs offensive rebounds. He's a solid kind of versatile help defender, switchable, scores in a variety of ways. The three-point shooting isn't great, but it's been serviceable this year. And I think the, you know, the, the one knock on him is that he's only played 31 games. So he's missed like about a third of the season. But it's so hard for me to say that Jason Tatum is an all-star this year, just because of how that team is like, how much volatility offensively you see on, on, on that team on a night to night basis. And everything is running through Tatum. I think that he's kind of in the wrong role on the Celtics right now. I don't think that it, it, he's billed as a go-to, like a 1A, and he just not, he doesn't have the ability to consistently create his own offense at the level where, where, where you can floor raise a team to be a, even a league average offense. So I, I, th- I just think it's tough with Tatum, but I think overall, if you take my unhappy Celtics fan bias out of the equation, Tatum probably gets the nod. What do you think? So definitely Jimmy, definitely Levine, definitely Van Vliet. I agree with Garland and Jared Allen. Garland is probably, I mean, we'll get into most improved player later, but. I mean, it's a very similar argument to to like Paul and and Aiton, right? I mean, just the fact that they've carried this, like, and that is the tandem, uh, the, the, the pick and roll tandem. Garland has just been unbelievable this year, both, you know, in terms of scoring and like, even when his shot is off, I love to see about players where even if they're not shooting the ball well they can still have an impact on the game and I, there was a there was a night where I think he shot like thir- three for 12 from the field against against Utah but he had 10 rebounds and like 13 assists and he just finds a way to make winning plays so I love that about him his shooting is from three from mid-range he has the floater game he has a really diverse offensive package for a guy that is like 21 years old. And I mean, Allen is just, he, it's kind of like a version of, of Rudy Gobert, honestly. He just dunks everything around the rim. Incredible finisher, lob catcher. Amazing rim protector. Yeah. Yeah, I, he, he's having an amazing year. They're, they're, both, they're both MIP candidates as well. I think, you know, there's, there's enough for that, for that to be justified. So now we have two, I have two more spots to fill. So what do you think of Bridges? So I think this is kind of a hot take, right? But I think that Bridges is clear cut the best player on Charlotte. I think he's better than, than LaMelo. He's been better than LaMelo this year. We can look at the shooting efficiency. LaMelo, 53.3 true shooting percentage. That's below league average. And yeah, Miles Bridges doesn't have the playmaking ability that LaMelo has, but he, he is actually, he is actually a pretty decent passer and he's, he's improved as a passer. 
Miles Bridges shooting 57.7% true shooting, which is, I think, slightly above league average. And that, that's, that's a pretty sizable difference there. Also, Definitely. he's played more games than, uh, five more games than Lamelo. There's not a huge difference, but it's, it's something to note when the, when the gap, I guess, is not, is not huge in, in terms of the impact. So, yeah, so I, I, I think, I think I'm, I'm okay with putting Miles Bridges in there. I've got one more slot. You know, Jalen Brown missed about 10 games. But you and I have talked about this. We, we both think that Jalen Brown right now is a little bit better than, than Jason Tatum. We've, we've seen a couple games where the Celtics have run more offense through Jalen. And, you know, sometimes the offense just looks more fluid. Jalen is a better slasher than Tatum. And when he gets, when he gets in the paint, He's usually got better playmaking opportunities than Tatum, who often, you know, maybe not often, but isn't able to get to the, all the way to the rim like Jalen can and kind of dances in the mid range sometimes, you know, which is not as conducive to, to making plays for, for teammates. I think despite what the assist numbers indicate, that's something I've noticed about their, each of their, abilities as passers also Jalen has been a considerably more efficient scorer this year yeah that's important to know. I know I know he's only I know uh Tatum has played about 10 games more than Jalen I am going to select Jalen as my in my last spot Ooh. yeah the, I guess the the thing for me I like Jalen's game more than I like Tatum's just because I I do think that he it's better next to other great players. But I wonder whether Tatum, kind of like I was alluding to, would be more efficient and just more effective in a lesser role where he doesn't have to be the heliocentric offensive engine. Right. Um, but then, but then, but then maybe, yeah, I feel no, you're right. Case, maybe, maybe it's a distinction without a difference, right? Because he seems to want to be that player. So it's, it's, it's right. kind of like saying like maybe Westbrook would be better if he cut without the ball, you know, but he's right. not going to. Exactly. And, and we know, I mean, this is Tatum's highest usage of his career. If hypothetically Jalen had had higher usage um, and, and Tatum was used less. I feel like we would give I, I we would give more more props to to Jalen because he does have the skills the necessary skill set to be able to create shots uh, for him, for himself and, and and I really think you know as again uh, about their playmaking I really do think the the fact that Jalen is a is a better slasher than Tatum yeah. he, he creates he more advantages had, he, he right he creates more advantages forces rotations. Teammates. When you get all, when you're able to get all the way to the rim more, you know, the defense tends to, to want to collapse more than if you just kind of dance in the mid range. Yeah. You know, like you were, like you were alluding to Brown, a much more efficient finisher at the rim than Tatum. You should, I mean, 76% he's smaller than Tatum too. Yeah. Uh, but 76% at the rim this year compared to Tatum, who's at 69. I think that, you know, with Brown, it's very tantalizing because aesthetically there's this appeal to his game. He puts pressure on the rim more than, more than Tatum does because he has a better first step. 
Um, in some ways, he has a more, he has kind of a craftier handle, even though he's a little loose with it, and he, he kind of loses the ball sometimes. But he's also able to, to he's just able to penetrate better, and he's more explosive. Uh, he's a better, he's a better leaper. He's a better so, ball hand. He's a better ball handler than Tatum. I know but, some, maybe some people listening to this are going to think, what the heck are you talking about? But <laughs> as a mover, Jalen is, is just better. It's yeah. I, I feel like it's just, it's, it's very clear to me, the agility that, that Jalen has, you know, his first step, his ability, you know, he's got a really good crossover. He, he, he could get, he, he actually able to get, get to into and well. out of so quickly. Like with, with Brown, I think the one that, like, we've seen flashes of him being able to play make at a higher level. Um, when Tatum was out, he was doing that a little bit. But there were also, t- you know, there was also a game where when Tatum was out where he shot like, like Brown has some bad shooting nights, but Tatum has like, I feel like half of the games this season have been poor shooting nights from Tatum. The difference to me is that Tatum seems to have a higher ceiling as a, as a shot creator in some ways, even though, you know, he's not as good at getting all the way to the basket. Um, and it, you know, sometimes the efficiency leaves something to be desired. He seems to have better vision as a passer, or maybe he's just more accurate on his deliveries. I'm not really sure which one it is, but the concern for me with Brown is that he's always hovered around an even a one-to-one assist to turnover ratio um, throughout his whole career and in college. So I, I just don't think it's a no-brainer that if you just give him more on-ball touches and you run the offense through Brown, you're going to have more ball movement and it's going to be, you know, it's just going to be a, a more crisp and free-flowing offense. I think that I agree. I, I agree with that. I, I don't, I don't necessarily think that I feel like you would still have to give the, the off as, as a coach, you know, I think he if hypothetically that, that were to happen there, the, there would still need to be a, a good, a good amount of structure in place for, for Jalen, because I, I, I do feel like he's still naturally the kind of guy that wants to create his own shot more, more often than not. But in, in the games that I've seen, Jalen take on more of the offensive burden as a playmaker. He's been more impressive at times than, than Tatum. Again, uh, mainly because of, of the slashing and the agility as a ball handler. He's just able to create advantages that, that Tatum is not necessarily able to do on as consistent of a level as Jalen is able to do. Are we set on Miles Bridges? I feel like, I mean, Chris Middleton, what do you think about him? Yeah, Middleton certainly has an argument. I think that, you know, Middleton sometimes doesn't really turn it on during the first half of the regular season. And you, you kind of see it this year. I mean, his his efficiency has been kind of dipping for the past two years in the regular season. He's down to 40. I mean, he was at like 50 yeah, oh, yeah, no, he literally was at 49.7, 41.5, 91.6 in 2020. He's down to 44% from the field right now, under 50% from two, which I don't love considering that he is a guy that lo- likes to get a lot of his looks from the mid-range. 
Um, his his three point percentage is a little bit down. He's drawing more free throws this year, and his he's over five assists per game. I think that Drew has been. Did we did we talk about? Did you do you have Drew already? I think that Drew has been. Like I did not have Drew in my reserves. I agree with. I agree. To, with to me, having... Drew has clearly been better this year. Hmm. Just because he offers more resistance defensively, at the point of attack, and like he's just—I mean, he's just so key to what they to what they do on defense, and the efficiency. I mean, he's a better playmaker, and his his scoring efficiency has been has been better this year. So, and, and you're adamant about keeping Garland. What do you think? So, I mean, I, I just think the the Cavs. I think it's hard to have. Allen, but not Garland. And the Cavs, like when they've been healthy, when they've had the three of their, like when they've had Garland, Mobley, and Allen, they're at like a 60 win pace. Yeah. So no, I, uh... and I think that, that Garland is the most important piece in that, in that puzzle. He, that, I, I mean, if you look at the on off differential on cleaning the glass, he's a plus 14. Like they're 14 points better when he's on the court and 34 expected wins added which is ridiculous yeah the the on-off differential that's higher than chris paul i believe chris paul's is like six to eight if i'm not mistaken so that i mean that's that tells you something about garland's impact he just makes his teammates so much better he's really a wizard with the ball the way that he is able to find guys at the rim he has such a good chemistry with with allen and mobley and I just think that, like, where, what would those players be? And what would this team be without Garland? I mean, they are, I think that they are, you know, just a bottom feeder without him. He's doing, he's kind of the Trey Young of, of, of this team in a way. Yeah. Okay. I, I, I totally agree with that assessment. I, so I, I'm going to keep Garland, Jared Allen, and I'm also going to keep Jalen. That's fair. Tatum is out for me. Bradley Beal is out for me. His his scoring efficiency has taken a big hit this year, mainly yeah, from I, I didn't even consider him. Yeah, um, I'm not. Bridges Bridges is out for me. I'm gonna replace him for Drew Holiday and keep Chris Middleton. Would that put me at seven? Okay. Let's think. Jimmy Butler, Zach Levine, Fred Van Vliet, Jalen, Darius Garland, Jarrett Allen. That's six. Mm-hmm. And I, I would put Drew and actually leave Chris Middleton out. Those are my seven reserves. That's a good list. 